0: Welcome to Purpose 360, I'm Carol Cohn, and today more than ever before, companies, brands, and their partners need to stand for something beyond the bottom line. I've created this program to provide insights and ideas to share with you so that you can apply them to your work the very next day. The goal here is to uplevel your purpose and to benefit companies and society. So please join us. door is the online community hub where neighbors come together for trusted connections and the exchange of helpful information, goods, and services. They say on their website that they believe by bringing neighbors together, we can cultivate a kinder world where everyone has a neighborhood they can rely on. They really came to their fore during the COVID pandemic when people were in despair and they were isolated, where now they are over in 25% of US households. They're also in 11 countries. They have 270,000 smaller unique neighborhoods. There are over 50 million local businesses uh, recommendations. And all of this has happened since they were founded in 2011. They say that we believe in the possibilities of nearby. That your neighborhood is your social network, but it brings out the humanity in all of us. Nextdoor's belief is that thriving communities are more than just residents. They're also made up of the local businesses, not-for-profits, and public agencies that keep neighborhoods strong and connected. And as I mentioned they have more than 50 million local business recommendations from neighbors to date on Nextdoor. It's easier than ever to take advantage of the possibilities nearby. In this fascinating conversation with Marion Banakaram, we're going to learn at least a dozen new things, but I'd like to point out a few of them. First, she said that, Companies today need a broader narrative. They need to stand for something. And that's why purpose is so important. When companies want to grow and scale from a purposeful place, you have to come to the table, not as me, but as we. Not as me, but as we. When you invite others in, that's where the power and the exponential growth will take place when you're human and you're authentic. Also, the power of advisory boards. We always suggest to our clients because they are not the experts in a social issue to create an advisory board. Nextdoor has three advisory boards, clients, community oriented, and as well public agencies. And they are packed with people who are really, really steeped in knowledge So those are some of just the three important tenets you're going to learn today. Please join and listen into this conversation with Miriam. It is one that you can certainly take to the bank. Enjoy. Uh, Miriam, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Now, Miriam has had an amazing career and we crossed paths a number of years ago. And when I saw that she was appointed to be the chief marketing officer of Nextdoor, I said, oh, I've got to reach out and interview her. Um, She has had amazing job history. She's been the global CMO at Hyatt. She's been SVP CMO at Gannett, SVP um, Integrated Sales and Marketing at NBC Universal. She's been at Univision and Turner. She's even had her own company. Um, She has an amazing commitment to whatever position she's in, and she's always doing the next great thing. And her mantra is, show what's possible. She also believes that marketing is all about humanity. And so with Nextdoor, we're going to talk about why the hyper-local platform truly performed brilliantly during the pandemic, but why so many of the who's who of Silicon Valley have invested in the company, are advisors to the company, because this thing is growing like wildfire. So Miriam, tell us about your professional journey and how you've seen marketing evolve over the years. It's
1: so nice to be with you. And I i think you're like channeling Jim Kramer. I want to say like, you're like a <laughs> Jim Kramer. Right? Um, oh, that's nice. I'm going to use that if you'll yeah, let me. I think, I think you should definitely use that. So, you know, for me, marketing was something I sort of fell into. And I think about that actually, because it's not like I knew what marketing was. I was doing something and somebody said to me, that's marketing. And really the story goes that when I was in college, I actually used to write an insider's column. Like you land in London and you want to know the five places to go to be like a local. This was back in 1987. So a long time ago. And I um, had this column that I wrote where when I would land in a city, I would sort of do a column like that. And, um, The Gap actually did this campaign called Individuals of Style, if you remember, way back. I do.
0: That was a great. Oh, yeah. Actually, you know what? I was in the campaign.
1: Okay, great (laughs) campaign. Right. And so they (laughs) featured, um, you know, Kim Basinger in her white T-shirt and then they localized it. So they had, um, you know, local celebrities like you or John Lurie who were sort of local to New York. They were sort of like insider New Yorkers. Right. So they had this national overlay everybody you knew, and then people that you were excited to discover because they were sort of local celebrities. So I don't even know how I came up with this idea, but I actually took my insider guides and their ads and I mocked it up into a book and I wanted to make it into a travel book that you could buy at the Gap. We now call that branded content. That wasn't a thing right. at the time. But I got <laughs> yeah. a meeting at The Gap. Nothing came of it. And I sort of put the mock-up in my shelf. And fast forward, I'm at Columbia Business School. And somebody's in my um, tiny apartment and looks at this and says, oh, my God, Mickey Drexler, the president of The Gap, just spoke at our retailing class. You should send this to him. He's so nice. And this- <laughs> anyway. So fast forward, I actually put it in the mail to Mickey Drexler and never think I'm going to hear anything of it and it's finals, and I'm studying, and the phone rings, and it's Mickey Drexler.
0: Oh, that's great. That's really great.
1: And he says, do you want a job at The Gap? I wasn't looking for a job at The Gap. I really just wanted to make my guide. Anyway, he says to me, oh, this place you wrote in San Francisco, is it any good? I said, yes, it is. I go there all the time. In fact, I'm going there when I go home. He's like, here's my agenda for the next two weeks. Please come see me. (laughs) Please follow up with our head of recruiting. And he gets off the phone. And I think to myself, what's just happened to me? So then... Two weeks go by, the phone rings, and it's Susan Cooper, their head of recruiting. And she says, Mickey Drexler said you were going to call, and I haven't heard from you.
0: <laughs> okay, be hard to get, playing hard to get.
1: And I mean, honestly, because I wasn't looking for a job, and I don't know that I knew how to process that. Um, but what happened is in that conversation, she said to me, this is a marketing idea. And I joke to this day that Mickey Drexler and Susan Cooper started me on my path. <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's great. It's a great story.
1: And, you know, I think the reason that's important is because... You know, I think there are people who have five-year plans and 10-year plans. I didn't have a plan. I just did, and in the doing, I became. And I think, what is marketing? To me, marketing is about storytelling. And so, while the tools of marketing have changed, and we now have SEO when we talk about tagging and performance marketing and, life, you know, customer lifetime value, the thing that hasn't changed is that brands that win aren't just about utility. They stand for something. They need a narrative. You, you actually buy a device. You know, I say all the time, Southwest is such a great example because the airline business is the ultimate business in terms of being a commodity, right? You're literally in the business of moving body from place to place in air. But what Southwest did is they, they leaned into their purpose. They said, we're not in the airline business. We're not in the business of moving bodies from place to place. We're in the business of giving people freedom, Because we offer $49 fares. And so now somebody can travel for $49 who never was able to afford to travel before. And so redefining their business through the lens of purpose, through this North Star of freedom, which they actually lived, not just from a marketing campaign, but in terms of how they made decisions, right? They actually decided to get rid of blackout dates, which had financial ramifications because they said, if we're in the freedom business, blackout dates are counter to that. So, yes. We can make more money in that moment, but it's not actually moving our purpose further. So, they actually were able to break out of a commodity category and have 33 consecutive quarters of growth in what is a highly commoditized business. So, what is the job of marketing? The job of marketing, in the end, is obviously growth. I mean, it is by definition a business. But how you get to growth is not just in terms of thinking about the job to be done. It's also in thinking about what you
0: stand for and how you tell that story to the world. And that's fabulous because you answered my second question, which is why is purpose important today? So you've defined that standing for something truly gives you, it makes you more human. It gives you an opportunity to talk in different ways and tell stories. So why is purpose even more important today than when Southwest or when I worked with Rockport and Reebok, you know, decades ago, that it gave them something to talk about. So why today? Why is it so critically important?
1: Well, I mean, I think purpose has been important for a long time. It's just become more fashionable, right? You now see it more in the headline. And I would say to you, there's sort of two other things that are happening. One is that you know, as as our countries become pressured globally, you're seeing the need for businesses to actually take more of a stand and and do things that they didn't used to have to do before, right? We we depended on governments to lead, and now you're seeing the call for many people to in fact lead um, from the business perspective, right? And so there's this push on CEOs in particular to take a stand and do good. Right. And so that's one one sort of insight that's happening in the marketplace. The other thing is younger generations expect the brands that they, you know, buy to have a purpose. They actually demand that they know what that company stands for because they understand inherently that they their pocketbook carries weight. Right. Because I think one of the things the Internet has done, it's democratized your ability to communicate broadly. Right. To sort of. Push a message out. And so that generates change. And so now people say, hey, you know what? I'm going to support Ben and Jerry's and I'm going to do it vocally because they stand for something that aligns with my belief, right? So you're having this demand from a customer perspective. You're having this demand and pressure point on CEOs at all levels, which is why you now have like, you know, CEO roundtables and all these kinds of things. And I think that the data backs up, right, from the Jim Collins work in good to great to, you know, Jim Stengel's work and all the work that's now been done to actually try and quantify what uh, purpose yields. You see companies that are purpose-driven over the long run perform better in the market, right? So, you see that purpose, in fact, isn't just a fuzzy, warm thing. It actually leads to business performance, right? And so… Those are three things that I think has made it that we now actually have these conversations around purpose, whereas before you had to do a lot more explaining
0: as to what that was and why you would do it. So why don't we get into next door? Because I view next door, people are going to say, Carol, why next door? I mean, what's their purpose? But their purpose is their premise. And your premise is your purpose. And so I'd love you to explain to our listeners, um, since you have... I. Over, it's, I guess it's leaning over. Twenty five percent of households in the U.S. are part of Nextdoor, and you're growing globally. But it's it, it came out of nowhere in a way, in in my view of what's happening in popular culture. So just talk about who is Nextdoor and you know where the idea came from. That would be great.
1: Yeah. So, Nextdoor was founded when um, the founders actually came upon a Charles Blow article, um, who's the opinion writer for the New York Times. He wrote up um, the Pew study. And in the Pew study, it said that 28% of Americans didn't know a single one of their neighbors. And when you think about the fact that we actually live in the age of the internet where there's hyper-connectivity thanks to technology, the fact that 28% of Americans didn't know a single one of their neighbors Was astounding. And they thought, okay, well, how can we actually leverage technology to enable connectivity, not just through technology and online, but in real life, right? Like the idea that knowing the people next to you can actually change your experience and your life, right? This notion, I think back to Sebastian Unger's book, Tribe. He says that tribes used to be defined by geography, right? And so that's actually something that really comes to mind as we get locked down in COVID and we're basically, you know, locked in place in a way that before I used to feel sort of unity with LaGuardia or O'Hare. I now am doubling down on my name.
0: Right. There you go.
1: And so I think um, what Nextdoor was trying to do was connect you to those closest to you so that you could actually meet them in real life. And so, I think for us, it's about how do you integrate into your community and plug into the neighborhood in the way that works for you. And the data shows from Vivek Murphy to Kelly who wrote The Rabbit Effect, that if you are connected and they call it weak ties, which I always find is sort of an interesting word. But if you know Stefan's name, who you know runs Bergamot, the bakery, if you wave to, you know, Nathaniel, your neighbor, or if you gather sometimes and actually share a coffee at Joe's Coffee Shop, you actually are healthier and just are are happier as a person. Like that data now exists. And so as we've become more disconnected, which Bob Putnam talks about, the desire and the need to be more connected, particularly as we've now experienced an incredibly difficult year of despair and anxiety and isolation. Like that's why Nextdoor has really, I think, come into full relief. Um, I think the other thing is that when there are times of crisis, which we've now had like in a remarkable fashion in this year, The first responders are your neighbors, right? So when you were in lockdown, when in March and April, you know, we were wiping down any grocery with Lysol wipes and wearing gloves and, you know, only going out at eight in the morning and I could literally walk up up Fifth Avenue and there was not a single person. When there was that isolation, the people who... I interacted with were my neighbors, right? So at seven o'clock, I stood on my stoop and I clapped for healthcare workers and I saw neighbors I'd never seen before, right? I mean, there was this moment of solidarity and coming together. And what was amazing on the platform is that in those early days of COVID, we had an 80% increase in daily active users. And what was not just astounding about that number, what immediately happened was that people showed up saying, how can I help? And it wasn't just asking for help. It was also mm. offering to help. And in fact, the offering was higher even than the asking. And so I think, you know, when I joined Nextdoor, our purpose had already been defined as cultivating kindness and creating neighborhoods we can all rely on. And I understood the neighborhoods we could all rely on, right? Because we all get that. I My dog is lost. I need a babysitter. Um, there is that question. But what became clear in that moment where everybody started offering help was the kindness piece. Yes. And so I think that's really the thing that I would say we've all seen in the middle of a pandemic is that um, out of despair comes purpose. And we come together and we help and we unite. Now it's not perfect. There's not, you know, we're not living in a utopian society, but the instinct is to see how you can help. And honestly, if there's any silver lining of... Living through a pandemic, it is that for me.
0: That's amazing because you know, we, we see um, you know, some of our clients who've got CPG clients and they sold more soup or Quest Diagnostics did more testing. And so they had, unfortunately, tremendous benefits and growth. But next door, you're right, through the pandemic, it really came to be essential. Um, and, and I love a quote, um, Miriam, that your CEO, uh, Sarah Fryer, said. She said, our neighborhoods aren't just about where we live. They're essential to who we are. Together, we can make them even better. So I'd love to hear from you. I know you have a lot of stories. We can spend the whole time on stories. But maybe two or three stories that came that really touched your heart, as well as your colleagues, because you got a lot of colleagues at Nextdoor, too, during the pandemic.
1: I mean, honestly, there are there are so many stories. Right. They they vary from a neighbor who offered to do stoop pictures. Right. He was a photographer and he was homebound and he was like, you know, creators want to create. And so he literally offered his neighbors the opportunity to show up, obviously, in a socially distant way because he was on the street and they were on their stoop to take family portraits that was such like an amazing gift to himself and to his neighbors mm-hmm. to what you're seeing currently on the platform i mean i see in my own um next door a neighbor who has started a group to help people navigate the vaccine process. And I actually said to her, what made you do that? And for her, she wants to help people get vaccinated. But what you're seeing is that the vaccine process is very complicated. So it's not as simple as figuring out what website to go to, but figuring out how to get the appointment is its own process. And what's been remarkable to see is people saying, okay, wait, Java's just opened up. By the way, here's what my experience was. I mean, my favorite was somebody saying, and here's where you can park, right? Like down <laughs> Great, to that local right. level, we saw conversations around um, the vaccine and the again, the level of offering to help around the process, just again, go up exponentially at the beginning of the year, right? Because the process was complicated. In fact, I had several people call me, my mother-in-law in Florida. She was like, People keep telling me I need next door. Don't you work at next door? Like, how can that help me?
0: <laughs> you go on store right.
1: because you know. Right now, you see your own neighborhood and actually track what's happening because people will update what they're seeing as they go get the vaccine, right? Or my sister who said to me that she, in, in fact, was able to get. Um, a friend of hers, a vaccine by just continuously tracking what was happening on Nextdoor because people were literally saying this place opened up, that place opened up, you know, go here, right? And so that amplification, that immediate distribution, to, and not just distribution as one way, right, but this two-way communication is something that really is a cornerstone of what Nextdoor is. Enables.
0: And I, I think it's great. It's it's actually, you know, I read all my news feeds and things like that in the morning, but I always read my next door because I want to know what's happening. Yeah. And it is, it is, you know, even more so that I'm not I don't get sucked into Facebook, but next door is it's got utility. It's got humanity and utility. So um I, I think it's extraordinary. Let's take a break and find out. What else is happening besides this podcast that you may want to know about? As reported in Dealbook, the SEC is reconsidering its authority to require companies to be more transparent in their reporting of ESG issues environmental, social, and governance issues. Allison Heron Lee was named Acting Chair of the SEC in January. Now, the SEC's job is to meet investor demand for more data on a range of corporate activities, such as reporting on human capital, human rights, and climate change. As Ms. Lee said, These issues are fundamental to our markets and investors want to know about them and companies that promote them can help to drive sustainable solutions on these issues. Now, since this recording, Gary Gensler has been named by President Biden and has been approved by the Senate and the House to be the new lead for the SEC. So Ms. Lee is laying the groundwork for more action rather than less. So stay tuned to see what regulations will be coming from the Biden administration's lead in the SEC. The Biden administration's appointees in Gary Gensler and others are expected to take a tougher approach to regulating and policing banks, asset managers, and entities seeking to raise money from public investors. The issues Democrats are seeking to leverage the power of regulatory agencies are to advance domestic policy priorities, such as combating climate change and fighting racial inequity. So stay tuned um, of this development and we will report back in other In The Know sessions and future podcasts. Now back to our wonderful conversation with Marian Banakarum, the Chief Marketing Officer of Nextdoor. Her decades of experience in marketing shine strongly through Nextdoor, a purpose-at-the-center company. You've also done some amazing partnerships. Um, I love the one that you did with Walmart. Yep. Can you talk about that? Because because it, it happened during the, the pandemic and it was first of its kind for you in Walmart, but can you explain that? It's a great idea.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, I'll tell you about two of my favorites. So Walmart is definitely one. I think um, in that moment where COVID was ramping up, we all wanted to help, right? It wasn't about marketing. It was actually about being there meaningfully for your neighbors and your customers. And so, Um, One of the first things we did from a product perspective is we accelerated our roadmap and we launched groups so that you could find people interested in the same thing easier in the feed. And then we also enabled a map functionality, which had been used for trick-or-treating. So you could pin your home so that people could see visually where to go trick-or-treating. We turned that into help map, so you could actually pin your home to say, I need help or I um, am offering help so that you could visually see how far the person was from you. And in fact, in my neighborhood here in Chelsea, I. I opened up a group called COVID. How can I help? Something like that. And I think it was the the a help group. And so we all got in the group, really just neighbors. And then literally there was somebody who needed help. And somebody said, I'm coming all the way from the West Village. I, I went and did that once. I went and picked up um, prescriptions for somebody. Is there somebody closer? Because it's a little bit hard for me to get from here to there, right? So you were seeing that behavior organically happen. And we were shipping product to meet that need, right? Like when you live your purpose, you begin to work 24-7 to make sure that you're there and in the moment of need. I think on Walmart's side, we started having these conversations, and it was clear that people needed hyper-local information about their local Wal- Walmarts, right? Like, is it open? Do they have wipes, right? You needed to be able to engage to get real-time information, and Walmart wanted to make sure that they were actually there for their customers. And there was also what was happening was people were immunocompromised and couldn't necessarily get out of their home. Or, you know, had kids and they couldn't get out because of babysitting situations or all kinds of complications that we were all navigating. So we started these for the first time. We actually had a partner go in on the groups and on the map. So you could say, I'm going to Walmart and I'm happy to pick up groceries for you. Let me know if I can help. So this solved multiple problems, right? It enabled Walmart um, through their local stores to get you information about the hours and sort of hyper-local information that was relevant to you. It also enabled neighbors to be able to um, sort of carpool needs together. It kept basket sizes high at Walmart, but it also reduced foot traffic, which, you know, People who actually had to show up as essential workers, their safety was also a concern. I mean, I loved it for the complexity of what it was trying to solve, and all driven by two companies who are purpose driven, who wanted to be there meaningfully for their customers in that window. So, that by far is one of my favorites. I think another one that um, I also really love for different reasons is a partnership we did um, with HR Block around Make Every Block Better. And the reason I like that partnership is because the plan before COVID was that they actually ran a promotion where people got to suggest projects that bettered their neighborhood, that made every block better. And so there were 10 winners. And the goal was that after the winners had been selected, we would actually enable these things to happen in local communities. So somebody, for example, wanted to do a community garden. And so we had an events team that was going to work with this person to enable that community garden to happen. And then COVID hits. So there were sort of two options. You could say, you know what, we're going to have to park this idea because we're not getting out, right? I mean... COVID, we, we can't send an event team. That's just not happening. But what I love about the ingenuity of the h r Block team and the Nextdoor team is that they reimagined how to actually do that because, again, the need was still there. So they actually pivoted and enabled the program to pull from the local businesses. So for the community garden, they actually bought from a local store, and they sort of enabled this ecosystem to support local businesses, and then they scheduled for people to do the community garden, an interval so that it was safe. So instead of sort of this team coming in, they actually mobilized the community and supported the local businesses to solve for the same thing. Again, a moment of remarkable ingenuity. And I think if there's anything we've seen is that we can be resilient, we can reimagine and reinvent, right? Like there's more digital innovation that's been sped up than anybody thought was humanly possible, right? So if you come to the table not preset with ideas, but with the mindset of like, how can I solve the problem, particularly because it matters for your customers, like that becomes a winning strategy.
0: I would assume that the marketing world and the brand world must be all knocking at your door because that you have these authentic roots to the grassroots. Um, You don't have to tell me who, but I'm assuming that you probably have many other potential partnerships in the wings?
1: Well, if you're looking for hyperlocal, but at scale, we are a great partner, right? And I say, you know, what does Nextdoor equal? Next door equals neighborhood. So if you think about us as the neighborhood app, the place that you go to plug into your neighborhood to get immediate distribution to the neighborhood, the fastest way to integrate into your community. If you're a brand that wants hyper-connectivity, which, you know, for a Walmart, right? Perfect example. For an ancient and Block, perfect example. But also you need scale because it's not a one-off, like we're perfect partner. But I think, you know, the best partnerships, and look, there's day-to-day business that we do, but the best partnerships is when like-minded brands come together to do bigger unlocks, right? And so I think of who else wants to own the neighborhood? you know, not own it outright, but who else wants to stand for the neighborhood? I think one of my favorite spots is the Pepsi spot where they um, celebrated the bodega with the bodega boys and they actually grabbed- I know, that was
0: great. I love that
1: spot. And the reason I love that spot is because the bodega is the heart of their neighborhood, right? And they all have some version of that bodega. And I think like when the world opens up, I want to have the ultimate block party with Pepsi, right? Like somebody else. I
0: bet you're planning up. that. I bet you're knowing you, you're planning that. You're not going to tell us what a bit you so are.
1: Somebody else who also gets that the block party, like imagine when the world opens up, the ultimate block party that we're all just waiting to have. Um, that gets that the heart of the heart of the community is sometimes your local store, right? Your bodega, Joe's coffee shop, whatever that is, um, in what in, you know, in whatever market that you live in.
0: Do you find that there's a difference in you're in the city and versus I'm in the burbs? um, And so like we have half acres and such. Do you find there's a different feel or the way the communities, the neighborhoods, you know, interact, whether you're in a city or like in my situation?
1: There's 100 percent differences between regions. So I think one of my fun facts when I first joined Nextdoor and COVID hit, was we were looking at data in terms of behavior. And one of the fun facts was that if you were closer to the West Coast and you were a guy, you were more likely to cut your own hair. And if you were closer to the East Coast, <laughs> you waited, you waited for the market to open up, right? So there are definitely differences, regional differences, no surprise. And I think, um, you know, in some markets where people have lived there for a long time, they know their neighbors. So you're sort of not enabling um, them getting to know each other as much as you're enabling them to be connected and sort of finding each other in a two way method easier. In other markets where people are coming and going in urban cities, really, you're enabling people to be able to plug in quickly. Right. And so
0: there, there are variances, but the need is the same. And, and is how does it also I know you're going global. We are global. You are global. So can you talk a little bit about how that came about and are you going to be everywhere? I mean, is that your grand ambition that, you know, in five years or so that you will be on every continent or, you know, what's your vision for that and how's it working?
1: Yeah, we're already in 11 countries. So the U.S., Canada, Australia, and then nine countries in Europe. Do Is our goal to be everywhere? I think everybody has neighborhoods and everybody would like to have kinder neighborhoods they could rely on. So in that sense, Yes. And I think what you've seen is that the behavior of, wanting and offering help is a global one. It's not a U.S. phenomenon. We've seen that everywhere. Um, I think one of my favorite meetings was with um, Greg the Yellow Wiggle. Um, he had seen sort of next door really pick up in his market. And he had had a heart attack not long ago and um, had been saved by a defibrillator. And so he'd had a, um, a nonprofit that he did where he was trying to get these into lots of different neighborhoods. And they reached out and said, it seems like a perfect partnership. And in fact, the story goes that um, Greg's business partner on the nonprofit had told me on the phone or through Zoom that his mom needed some medicine and couldn't get it. But and he posted it on Nextdoor and people offered to just drop it by. And his mom's first reaction is like, what's going on? Is this a scam? Do they want something? <laughs> Literally, it was like just neighbors who were like, I'm happy to help. I mean, honestly, I saw this the other day where somebody posted on a Nextdoor that they needed a vaccine because they actually had some issue that required them to get it sooner. And
0: somebody gave up their appointment to them. That's the ultimate kindness for sure and generosity.
1: You know, in some ways you have to enable that. You have to give that invitation and enable that to sort of open up. Right. And I say out of despair comes purpose. Like we all feel better when we get to lean in
0: and do something that's not just for us. You're not excited about your work at all. No, (laughs) you're you're fantastic. Um, Let's talk a little bit about um, you have this kind uh, campaign that you launched. Um, So can you talk a little bit about like how did it come about and, you know, what were some of the results?
1: So inherently, we sort of have recognized that we've become lonelier as a community globally. You know, there's been a lot of this research, which I mentioned to you before. And so we actually ran a research um, project with academics that actually have expertise in this area of loneliness. And what you basically find is that connectivity to six people in small ways, right? Just waving to your neighbor makes a difference. And so we ran this kind challenge to enable people to do just that. And it's been remarkable to see the efforts of that. I think it's just the beginning, right? You're beginning to see how the isolation has really impacted people. I spoke to somebody yesterday who's a therapist um, at Child Mind here in New York, and he was saying to me how what they're seeing is just astounding. The number of people who've had this incredibly isolated experience where really their development has been impacted in ways that we can't even foresee yet. And sort of the ramifications of depression and anxiety that that has produced and how we really need connection, right? Like that is actually a really deep human need. And it can vary from a wave to, you know, wanting to give up your vaccine appointment. I mean, th- there's there's variances in that, right? But just that connection is actually really vital to your health. And so I think that's what the kind challenge was focused on. And honestly, it's just scratching the surface because that is definitely as I go back, that was the whole founding story of Nextdoor. It's come into full relief, and that's definitely what brings us all to work on a day-to-day basis. And and how many
0: employees do you have right now? Oh, we don't talk about that.
1: So we're still a private company. Uh, let let me just say, we're still a startup, right? We're still scrappy, and um, I'm still hoping I can have Pepsi's budgets to do things.
0: <laughs> okay, well, we, I, know, I know in you, you're going to go get them. How did you support your employees during the pandemic?
1: You know, I think it was really hard. I started the job three weeks before COVID. I mean, there are many um, people who I work with who I've never met. So, you know, I think one thing is just being human and acknowledging what's going on, right? Like authenticity and acknowledgement goes a long way. We've given... You know, days off for people to recover. We try and promote the idea that people should take time off. Like, just because you don't get to go anywhere anywhere on vacation doesn't mean you shouldn't take the time off. It's obviously very difficult. You know, we have us, we use Slack, and Slack has this um, feature where it does a donut where it connects you to people just so that you can have a donut together. So, the virtual <laughs> serendipity of what you used to have at the water cooler really matters. I think. Um, one of my favorite team activities that we did was, um, I was on the call the other day with somebody and everybody was talking about the history of their name. Just like moments where you get to know somebody, right? Because sure. it becomes so surgical because you're constantly on the phone with a specific meeting. And it's like opening up that space to actually get to know each other and be human and also having each other's back, right? There's tons of times where somebody has an emergency with their kid, with their parent, who, you know, who, who are sick. And just knowing that somebody can cover you, you know, those things all matter.
0: No, no, that's that's great. You work with public agencies, mm-hmm. and I, I'm sure especially that happened during COVID. Like, you know, where can you get the vaccine? Can you talk about the role of public agencies um, in Nextdoor? Yeah,
1: public agencies are critical, right? If I go back to where the neighborhood. Hub. we're sort of the place you go to plug into the neighborhood. Your neighborhood is made up of Troy and Nathaniel, who live down the street from me, Stefan, who owns Bergamote, but also the EMTs who showed up to help right in the middle of the crisis, or Eric Botcher, who used to be uh, Corey Johnson's chief of staff. It's the ecosystem. I love Eric Botcher. He actually has been doing litter pickups every Saturday, which he promotes on Next Door. And I showed up. I was like, you know, I can admire the problem and complain about the fact that sanitation has pulled back or I can show up. And literally my husband and I showed up. It was like 10 minutes. I was like, let's just pick up the garbage. So (laughs) I think um, public agencies are critical. And I think, you know, it's not even just that. The other day, you know, we're all work from home. Like we're literally tethered to the computer and the internet. And Verizon went down and we had no internet internet service, right? You're like, oh my God, how's that going to work? The first thing I did was I checked next door and somebody had said, hey, is everybody's service down? Right. And so just knowing that we weren't alone. And then my husband checked and he'd actually gotten a message from Verizon. So I went back in and I said, like, Oh, they sent an email. And then we all sort of stayed in touch to be like, is it back up? Is it not back up? Like somebody was like, does somebody need to come to my stoop? Right. So enabling that two way communication matters, not just for like the Con Ed's and the Verizons, but also for your city council person and your governor. Right. And and the CDC and the World Health Organization and the Red Cross, because. When COVID hit, it was like, okay, we're not the source of truth, but who is and how can we make sure that we're giving that source of truth? We're making sure that our neighbors are getting access to that source of
0: truth. So it's it's a critical part of the ecosystem. You have an amazing group of advisors and, you know, you're a startup, as you said. But um, there's a lot of wisdom in terms of you've got three different advisory groups. I mean, I was like surprised, like, you know, usually, though, yeah, there's one, but it was three. So um, for those startups that that hopefully purpose-driven startups that are listening to this podcast, um, what's the um, wisdom about having advisory boards and why three?
1: Well, first of all, we have four advisory boards. Oh, four, uh, okay. Five, if you count our board of directors, right? Yeah, I didn't. Um, yeah, okay. <laughs> that, that, by, by the way, they're not... Um, you know, if, if there's something we need, right, John Hope Bryan gets on the phone immediately. So does Andreas or, you know, so does Bill Gurley. So I think that's your first order of business is is that board um, and making sure that you access them, right, that they don't just sit for the four times a year mm-hmm. meetings. I think the other thing is, um, you know, I think one of the things I love about Sarah as a CEO is that she takes lots of input and she understands that while she's incredibly bright, that we can always learn from others. And so, enabling that through advisory boards where we actually set up advisory boards where it's not just about what it does for you. It's also like what they get out of it. Cause like we all want to make sure that we use our time wisely has been just a remarkable thing. And so our advisory groups, we have one focused on public agencies to make sure that we're actually good partners to them. One focused on neighborhood vitality. Cause in the end we want Um, our neighborhoods to be vital. And there's a lot of really good academics and different um, people who focus on this topic and are incredibly smart that you want to actually be able to draw on. Uh, Jennifer Eberhardt being an amazing one, really. And the work with her actually led to a product uh, which we call the kindness reminder, right? So oftentimes you're typing and in haste, you might write something that might be offensive to someone. The work with Jennifer led us to actually launch the kindness reminder, which recognizes that through AI and says, Wait a second. Are you sure you want to? It's that momentary pause. Really? You want to say that. And it's actually um, reduced in civility. And people I love that I because it's forcing them to just pause for one second. Uh, and then our um, client advisory board, because we obviously want to hear from other CMOs and top marketers. And honestly, it's a gift. You know, I get to, I mean, we work long hours and sometimes just being able to say your idea to somebody else and have them push back and remind you okay, wait, don't just go towards utility. It's, it's, about, it's about actually your purpose and kindness, right? Like hearing that from the outside, not just for me as a marketer, but also for the other executives who sometimes get to participate, right? And sometimes hearing it from somebody else can be even more impactful than hearing it from the people within. So I think like if you're not threatened, if you recognize that there are many people who are smarter than you and that you actually activate that network, and you make time and space for that, it's really a gift.
0: Tremendous pearls of wisdom. We do advisory boards all the time for our clients, but only one. And I think the genius of this is is just tremendous. I also just have to give a shout out to you, because I know on your neighborhood advisory board, you have Derek Johnson, who's the CEO of NAACP. I mean, that's, and there are other luminaries. I mean, if you look at some of the names all over. So there's a lot of people that seem to be like, this next door idea is really great. Look, I
1: think neighborhood is the unit of change. It is the hyper local to scalable thing. We all want vital neighborhoods, no matter where we live, in what country, and what neighborhood. And I think you see the potential of next door because instant distribution means that you actually can bring people together because you're not picking and choosing your friends. You're literally getting connected by geography, right? In the way that Sebastian Younger talked about tribe. That allows... And I think, honestly, the moments that I love about Nextdoor is when people disagree, but find each other, find humanity, and then bridge the divide, right? I think the reason people are interested in Nextdoor is obviously because it's a great business that can scale, but also because neighborhood can be the unit of change And what has been a divided world, because the opportunity to come together actually happens
0: one neighborhood, one neighbor at a time. I think you need to be a third party in the political system and run the neighborhood, Let's not be blue and red. Let's be unified. I, I love that. Um, Miriam, you are like, I think, probably one of the most quotable guests I've ever had. Fabulous and smart. So in, in closing, a couple of things I, I'd love to just ask. Them. You gave some great pearls of wisdom. Um, I'd love to know that, okay, if you could provide three insights or such to someone who is on a purpose journey. So it's a, it's a company brand on a purpose journey. And um, I always you know talk about authenticity. Mm -hmm. Um, I just wrote an essay about that. And so if you could share some of your amazing wisdom um, with our uh, listeners, that would be great.
1: Uh, I mean, you know, that's so funny about being quotable. So, you know, I was just thinking about this. And honestly, I have to I have to end with telling you about New York City next, because it's really the thing that's got me most animated in some way. I go back to this idea of despair and purpose coming out of despair because we've been living it for a year. It's a long time, it's not a short amount of time. And I think sometimes you need something to push against. And the thing that we all have to push against is the pressure that all of our neighborhoods are under, right? There's not a single one of us who doesn't live in a neighborhood that's not under pressure, right? Your businesses are shuttering down, people have been sick, people have been dying. I mean, this is not an insignificant thing, right? There's a loneliness epidemic. It's gonna require us all coming together to actually revitalize our neighborhoods and get to the other side. This is not small things. These are big things, right? Big systematic things, injustice, climate change, small business pressure. And I guess, you know, I sort of think like in life, you only live once. So, you know what? Let's make a difference. Let's make it count. And so when I think about that in August, when James Alchell wrote that story saying that New York City was dead, and it was like, you know, maybe the 10th time I heard that. You know, we turned to each other and we said, what are we going to do? I started a group on Nextdoor called I Love New York More Than Ever because I wanted to just <laughs> share the positivity. I wanted to right. share my love of New York about how I it was my identity, right, that I used to make these lists of things I was passionate about. And New York was always in the top three. And then I, you know, with a couple of friends, we emailed our our network of friends and we said, who else is in to actually do? Not just watch and complain, but get in and get involved. And out of that was born this crazy journey, which is now 600 volunteers strong, which is New York City next. And we literally came together, came up with an idea, and we enabled these moments of spontaneous joy to happen when the city was frozen, right? From you know just having Elio, Villafranco, and three others jazz musicians who normally play in Lincoln Center, who won Grammys to perform right on the corner of 21st and 9th, bringing energy to the open-air restaurants, to this moment we had in October where we had 24 Broadway performers, including Bernadette Peters, on the Red Steps at Times Square, right? And so what was remarkable about this journey is not that everybody said yes. That in itself was remarkable. Everybody said, like, yes, how can I help? From the Bernadette Peters to the Michael McElroys to Clear Channel, who gave us um, outdoor space worth millions of dollars for two months. But what was even more remarkable was that when we came together in a socially distant way and people actually used their voice out loud to sing together, how moved we all were, right? How it actually changed like the molecules in your body and you experience right. joy and collectiveness, Right. But even more than that, because now we've done 13 or 14 of these and a whole bunch of love letters to the city, everybody who volunteered said to me, oh, my God, it's been so difficult. It feels so good to have something positive to work on. And out of that, we found a community, a community of people who really love the city and, and lean in for the city, but who care about the arts, who know that the artists are our soul and our, you know, heartbeat in New York. And so... It's not about me. It's not about any one of us. It's about the collective. And so if I was going to leave you with anything, if you care about purpose, you have to come to the table as we and not me. And by the way, what better moment than right now when your we is needed? Come together with other people. It can be as small as waving to your neighbor, right? But it can also be Like these many things that we're seeing mobilize in cities, right? New York City Next is just one example. There's at least 10 of those and I've seen them here. And I know because of Nextdoor, I'm seeing them all over where people say, okay, you know what, how can I help? How can I help get together with other people because there's power in the collective? And Aver DuVernay says that you dream big when you dream with others. Right. And I oh, no, nice. that yeah. really matters.
0: That's absolutely extraordinary. And you're so right. Um, it's not it's about the we, not the me, um, especially if it's going to be authentic and if you're going to try and create a movement. And truly tie the energies of people together, even if they're scared or withdrawn or fearful. You've been an amazing guest and the pearls of wisdom are just it's, it's a few strands, at least some very long ones. Um, is there anything else, Miriam, you'd like to add before we unfortunately have to end our conversation?
1: No, I mean, the main thing I would say is thank you so much for having me. Um, you know, it's a gift to be able to share and to get inspired by everybody else. And, you know, join the movement, start your own New York City next, whatever that version is for you or join our movement. You know, there's always something to
0: do. Oh, that's great. So um, I want to thank you so much for joining us. This has been a great conversation. And I'd like to end with the question for our listeners. I always used to ask, what is your purpose? But I'm now going to shift it to what is the power of your purpose? So thank you very, very much.